Welcome to the Staying Golden Podcast, where we'll be catching up with Laurier alumni to give the Laurier community a glimpse of what the future may hold after graduation. We would like to acknowledge that Wilfrid Laurier University and its campuses are located on the Haldeman Track, traditional territory of the Neutral, Anishinaabe, and Haudenosaunee peoples. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the fourth season of the Staying Golden podcast. We're keeping things rolling today with another very exciting guest, Dr. Latif Murji, class of 2012. He's a family physician, lecturer at UFT, and also the founder of both Stand Up for Health and Vax Vax Clinic. Alongside all that, he's also a very talented musician. His single, which you just heard a snippet of, Placebo by Parachute Thieves, is available right now on music streaming platforms was released on November 11th, and it discusses the difficult task of working in our not-so-perfect healthcare system during a global health crisis. He also has a show coming up at the Horseshoe Tavern on November 21st, so keep an eye out for that. So that's a long list of things, and fortunately, we get to talk about all those things today. But before we get into that, how are you doing, Latif? I'm doing great. Really happy to be here, Luke. Yeah, and we're really excited to have you. Uh, So, first of all, we always like to start out things by talking about some of your experiences at Laurier. So, I'm first curious, uh, coming out of high school, what was the thing that attracted you to Laurier for undergrad? Yeah, so Laurier, at the time, it was 2009, I had just stayed for my fifth year in high school. And it's a good thing I did because I had a new option at Laurier. And that was this brand new health sciences program that they were starting that year. So, that was one of the main draws to me. And then, of course, you know, a common experience for a lot of Golden Hawks is you just show up for the open house and you step on the campus and it just feels like home. It's this tight knit community. You can just feel that vibe from the minute you step on campus. So that's the experience I had as well. It felt very welcoming. It just felt right. And that coupled with this program. Um, it was a risk, right? It was a brand new program. I was going to be part of the inaugural class, but I'm really glad that I did it because it was probably one of the best decisions of my life. That's awesome. And I like that people are hesitant to take gap years. They think that's like such a long time, but really looking back, I'm sure that was probably a great decision for you. So were you always interested in becoming a doctor or did you have other ideas going into health sciences? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question. Like, you know, at some point I thought I was going to be a baseball player. So, you know, that plan went a bit sideways, you know, maybe partway through high school. And I realized maybe that's not for me. And, uh, I got really into improv, improv comedy was my thing. Super into that. And then I don't know why I didn't, uh, go harder into that, but that was very fun and something that I continued to do at Laurier actually. Um, but then I started realizing that, uh, you know, maybe I had a lot of role models in the sciences and medicine, and it was, you know, obviously, you know, school, I was doing pretty well in sciences and I had this social conscience that was nurtured throughout my childhood. And I was doing a lot of extracurriculars, even in high school around that. So it felt like that would be a, you know, a good path for me to take. So you know, I felt like Laurier Health Sciences program would set me up to explore that path. And then as soon as I got to Laurier, luckily, I met peers of mine who are actually my, you know, some of my best friends to this day. 
that also had similar goals. And we encouraged each other and we all ended up getting into med school um, pretty, pretty quickly. So, um, you know, it's not, it, it wasn't my first choice in life. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't love medicine because there's a lot of good you can do through medicine and it's a very challenging profession and there it's very rewarding and fulfilling. So, um, you know, it, I'm very happy with the way that my life is going. And it also gives me a lot of space and flexibility to pursue a lot of other passions that I have. That's amazing. And I really like what you said about like, you didn't come in with that idea and now you find the fulfillment in it as opposed to expecting the fulfillment to come and maybe not having it be what you would expect it. Yeah. So were you involved in any of these like extracurriculars on campus in your time? I know you, you mentioned. Uh, yeah, actually some of my best memories came through extracurriculars. Um, so firstly, like the first week at Laurier, it's O week. That was incredible. So great that I decided to become an icebreaker in every year that I could. So uh, I did that. Shout out to the Green Amazons and Red Ninjas. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was an icebreaker. That was excellent memory. Um, I also started the Health Sciences Student Association. We called it HASA. Uh, they probably still call it that. Um, so yeah, that we we literally, you know, built this association from scratch. It was me and like my 10 best friends at the time. And we were, cause we were the inaugural class, right? So everyone in this whole committee were first years and wow. then we became second years and third years. So it was kind of cool. Um, and we planned events for our friends and we created this thing called conversations in health, which is like this marquee event in Laurier science now. And there's a lot of cool things that we did back then. And uh, it's cool to look back at that. So you know, that was another important involvement. And then there were intramural sports. That was like a great way to exercise and like be competitive. And just, it was awesome. Like, it's just all of these things were enriched by the fact that there was a small community. So every time you do anything, you see people that you've seen before, that you met before, that you're deepening connections and it just makes it so fun. So, uh, you know, I really enjoyed my time at Laurier and those involvements made it a lot richer for me. Amazing. Yeah. Some of my best memories so far, at least from my our volleyball with some friends or all the uh, intramural sports that I've done have always been a blast. Uh, so moving on a little more to career stuff. So you spent four years at Laurier? I spent three years actually. Okay. So um, yeah, because I got into UFT um, after my third year. So unfortunately I had to leave, but uh, I actually came back because in med school, we have a March break. And in med or at Laurier, there wasn't a March break. So that was my like fourth year. I came back and literally did everything that I wanted to do in fourth year in that one week. And it was like the best week of my life. So yeah, I kind of stayed four years. That's awesome. There's like a good movie title in there somewhere, but I'm not good enough to figure it out. <laughs> I think we called it The Real Homecoming. Oh, okay. That's a good one. Wow. You already thought about that. That's awesome. So what was your first job out of school then? And how did you get that? Or I guess out of UFT, your first medical job. I should oh, say. okay. Okay. Yeah. So the first time, so, you know, it says med school is four years at UFT. Then I did two years of residency. I also stayed in Toronto for that. So I was uh, at St. Michael's hospital through UFT again. Um, and then after residency, then yes, I had like, you know, I was independent practice. And my first job was I started doing something called locuming, which is where you work as a physician for a 
temporary period of time. So you're not like signing on forever, which is great for me because, you know, I wanted to test the waters in different places. And I did that not in Toronto, but actually up north in different rural communities and in indigenous communities as well. So I went to a place called Little Current on Man Manitoulin Island, um, Kenora, Englehart, and Moose Factory. Those are some of the communities that I served in, and usually for about two weeks at a time. And I would do emergency medicine, family medicine, uh, inpatient medicine. Um, so that's what I've actually been doing for most of the past four years since uh, since 2018 when I finished residency. That's interesting. And how would you compare maybe these more rural areas and the type of medical needs that they have to the big city? I'm imagining there's some differences there. Yeah, yeah, it's totally different. And um, in a way, it's it's really it's really interesting, right? Um, so one of the main differences is that they don't have specialists there um, or as many specialists, if at all. So that means that you as the family physician, you know, you're doing a merge, you're doing inpatient in addition to clinic, but then, you know, in you can't just like refer everything, you know, to a specialist. You can you actually have to expand your scope of practice and do more. And sometimes you might make a call to a, a colleague who is a specialist and they might guide you through that procedure, but you can't afford to be shipping a patient out for every single thing because these are like vast distances, right? Our, our country is huge. So like even one of the places I worked was Northwest Territories. And um, in a lot of these places, like you have to fly out multiple hours to receive like secondary or tertiary care. So um, for me as a physician, I'm doing a lot more. I'm also seeing people who are manifesting um, later stage uh, later stages of their disease because they're waiting longer to receive care. Maybe in like indigenous reserves, there are, or indigenous communities, there are patients who live on reserve, but then the hospital is not on the reserve. It might be one or two hours away. So then if you have, you know, um, let's say like cirrhosis of the liver and you're experiencing complications towards or um, around that, you might end up seeing patients who are waiting till they're in end stage liver failure before they come into the merge. And then now you're seeing pathology that you wouldn't even see in, in the city because in oh, the wow. city, someone would have noticed this a lot sooner. Wow. Wow. I wish we could talk more about this because this is so interesting. The nitty gritty of that difference and just the state of healthcare in our country is something that's really interesting to me at least. Um, but unfortunately, we got to keep things moving along here. So I understand that you started something called Stand Up for Health. I'm interested how that idea came about and how it was developed. And also, could you just give a little bit of background on what Stand Up for Health is? Yeah. So Stand Up for Health is a not-for-profit organization, and it centers around a learning system. And the cornerstone of that learning system is actually a simulation experience where people can walk in the shoes of someone who is racialized, low-income, vulnerable in, in different ways and actually experience what life might be like for that person. And we do this in a physical space where people are moving around. And it's also facilitated through a mobile app, like on an iPhone. And all of this was inspired by my own personal experiences growing up in Scarborough, living through some of these challenges and realizing when I got to Laurier sometimes in some courses and then in med school, especially a lot of my peers 
were able to memorize certain stats about, you know, poverty um, increases your chance of heart disease and diabetes, et cetera. And same thing with, you know, being racialized, but not having the experiential understanding of that and the ability to truly empathize with patients who are experiencing that. So this simulation kind of bridges that gap and sparks these discussions. That's amazing. And I think empathy is such an important part of good medical care. So I, I love that you're doing that because I know personally, all the medical care that I've gotten with empathy has made such an impact on me. Uh, so have you had an opportunity to see Stand Up for Health in a uh, school setting as part of the curriculum? I know it's been used in a few different universities. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we actually have run it at Laurier in the Social Determinants of Health class, which by the way, inspired all of this for me. Um, shout out Dr. Travers. Um, so he's put it in his course. Um, we've also had it in the U of T and Western Medical School curricula, and we've done it in many uh, medical conferences. Um, since then, we've kind of withdrawn from some of these courses because we're focusing more on this complete learning system that we've developed and bringing that to hospitals to train all of their employees. So right now, actually, just like a couple of weeks ago, we signed a big contract to train all of SHN, which is Scarborough Health Network's um, several thousand employees with a standard for health learning system. So we're really pumped about that. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, love thanks. to hear that. So moving on a little bit more to some other stuff about your career. Obviously, we've had a very tumultuous few years, and I'm sure this is a question you've either thought about a lot or gotten a lot from people. But what was it like in your role as a doctor at the beginning of this global pandemic where nobody really knew what was going on and you're having to navigate this the same way we all are, but you have a bunch of people who want you to navigate it for them as well. How, how did you deal with that? Yeah, I remember it was pretty scary, to be honest, um, because as you said, there was not very much information out there about what we were dealing with and not that much research had been done at that time. We were all just kind of staying posted to the news and you know in the medical community we had our own stream of information but it was very limited still at that time compared to what we know now and i remember working in the emerge and i saw this one patient this was very early on probably like you know in in the early spring of 2020 and this patient had uh severe nausea vomiting diarrhea like gi symptoms mm. and no respiratory symptoms and had a fever and just looked sicker than usual. I just had a, a sense about this patient and they weren't like elderly or, you know, they were like, you know, in their middle age and we put this patient in isolation uh, and it turned out to be the right decision because they were COVID positive. And this was my very first COVID diagnosis. This is very early on. And we were all, you know, we're like, oh man, like it's here. This was in a rural remote community. And, um, you know, it was already, you know, there with us. So I remember being pretty scared. We were scared for this patient because now this patient was, you know, they were not doing well. We needed to send them to a higher level of care. They ended up, you know, ending up being in an ICU. So, you know, that's scary for the patient, but then it's also scary for us working in that community knowing that, you know, there's probably community transmission of this contagious disease. And we're going to probably start seeing more people with this. And I need to, you know, I'm not going to hang out with my family 
And uh, who knows when I next will be able to see my parents and my family and friends. So it was a scary time. Um, glad that, you know, the worst of it is over. But uh, yeah, that, that's what it was like. And, you know, I just want to, you know, that a lot of my colleagues still working in emergency departments, I'm doing vax vax now, right? But a lot of my colleagues are still on the front lines, actually, you know, dealing with patients, you know, who are in these isolation rooms. And I just really um, respect the work that they're doing to this day. Right. And that's a great segue into vax vax, talking about this really difficult time and this time of uncertainty. For uh, those of us who maybe don't know or aren't familiar with VaxFax clinics, it's a uh, vaccine confidence clinic based in Scarborough, and it provides patients an opportunity to call in to a physician to just kind of address any of the questions or concerns they have about COVID-19 vaccines, the boosters, and all those sorts of things. So me, I'm a Scarborough native. There's a large number of different diverse cultures, subcultures in Scarborough, such a wide range of people represented, I think, more than any other area of Toronto. Of course, I'm biased, but, and that's something I really love about Scarborough, but I can imagine the problems that would cause for you as a doctor trying to help people with vaccine hesitancy. So I'm wondering kind of what is the range of questions that you would get through VaxFax? Yeah. So uh, we get people, you know, earlier on, we were having more people who are hesitant, who are completely unvaccinated and they want to know like, how does vaccine work? Like, how do we know this? this is safe? Why should I trust that this is safe? Right. That's one of the main things that people were worried about at that time. And understanding like people have different medical conditions they're on different medications they have different allergies and different experiences in healthcare and they want to know for you know some of these specific medical conditions for example how they might interact with the vaccine and they need someone with expertise to explain how that might work um, they need someone who they feel like they can trust and who's on their side right a lot of people have not had positive experiences in the healthcare setting so it's about you know, being an ally, being on their side, being someone who they can trust, they feel good in your hands. Those are some of the common kind of inquiries that we had earlier on. And now more, you know, there's some hesitancy around boosters. We're still at like 56% in terms of being boosted. And we're, you know, in the midst of a new wave. So people are inadequately protected. And it's our job to give people the information so that they can make the best decision for themselves. And, uh, you guys have helped over a thousand patients now. Is that true? Yeah, I think it's over twenty five hundred. Wow. So, what kind of success rate do you see? You have tons of people calling in. Um, are you able to kind of track which which people that call in are able to get vaccines, or is it difficult to find that? Yeah, we have been tracking that. We were hovering around eighty one percent for the longest time, and I think now we've improved. Actually, we're at eighty five percent. That's the percentage of patients who choose to get vaccinated after speaking with the, with a physician. And that's because we spend the time to actually understand what the patient's needs are, what their hesitations are all about, where they're coming from. And these are always reasonable fears that people have. If they, you know, if someone doesn't understand how something works, why would they trust it? Right. They're putting something in their body. So it's about, you know, we take 20. 30 minutes at least to make sure someone feels heard and understood and that we can break down these concepts and people feel comfortable proceeding. It's amazing. And that's such a 
incredible number. Four out of five people or more than four out of five people after having a conversation are willing to go. And I think that goes right back to the empathy aspect of things so that you're taking that time to understand the needs. So how do you think you were able to reach such a large amount of people in such a short amount of time? I mean, this has been active for just over a year now. Yeah, it's probably been a year and a half. And okay. I think that honestly, it it kind of connects a little bit with Stand Up For Health because both of these are, they're basically employing a health equity lens. And what I mean with that is we're trying to remove barriers. We're trying to make it easy for someone to access care, easy to be understood. So with VaxFacts, we have our appointments available from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., seven days a week. Our appointments are over the phone. All of these are removing barriers. to So it's easy for someone working in Scarborough, two jobs, single parent, let's say they still have time somewhere in their day to be seen by a physician, have that conversation. We have uh, OHIP is not a requirement so that you know, refugees, undocumented people can access care. We have physicians that are diverse, that represent the community, that improves trust. We have a partnership with the Black Physicians Association of Ontario. So if a member of the Black community calls and specifically wants to be uh, seen by a patient or by a physician from the Black community, they can do that. We have a partnership with SickIs as well. And ultimately, we're using an approach called motivational interviewing, where we're breaking down hierarchies we're respecting patients' autonomy, helping them see both sides of the decision that they're going to make. Awesome. One thing I'm pretty curious about is where you are getting the doctors from to answer these calls. Are these volunteers or are people full-time working on VaxFacts alongside you? Yeah. So right now I'm working on it full-time. And then we also have other physicians who are you know, working on top of their existing clinical duties. And that's how, like when it started, I was still you know, traveling around and working in emerges. But I realized that in order for us to really scale VaxFax and bring it across the country and see as many patients as, you know, we have now seen, I needed to devote myself to really get the word out and, you know, manage this roster and see patients every day. So um, this is now basically my full-time gig. All right. Well, moving on right from there with the VaxFax, we're going to talk about one of the other hats that you wear. So I understand that you have your musical background, even playing at Wilfs throughout your time at Laurier. Uh, I'm curious about what led you to first make music in general and what inspired you to share your music as well. So I always felt drawn to music, to dance, to performance. And I remember when I was a little kid, like seeing Michael Jackson on TV. Like I remember him teaching Michael Jordan how to dance and then Michael Jordan teaching Michael Jackson how to shoot a basketball. That was like the coolest thing ever for me as a five-year-old. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't have like proper lessons. Um, I did, I had, you know, what we learned in school, which is, you know, pretty good, I guess. But I really kind of took it into my own hands. And luckily, you know, no one was in the way of that. So I saved up some money. And when I was 15, I bought a guitar because I was really determined. And at that time I was like, you know, from 13 to 15, I thought Blink-182 was the greatest band in the universe. Mm -hmm. And then I got a guitar, learned how to play it, and then realized Blink-182 is not the greatest band in the universe. <laughs> then I started to really get into the Chili Peppers and I was obsessed with them. And then in first year of Laurier, right at the beginning, actually, I met um, my good friend, Rob, and he is an incredible guitar player. And that's when I Funny enough, that's when I started singing. Um, so I wasn't singing in any of the bands I played in high school. 
I was just playing guitar. And when I met Rob and we started like, you know, playing music together and writing music, there was this chemistry that like, you know, it was magical. So I couldn't let it go. Um, and I knew it had to birth something for, for me to feel like fulfilled in life. That's incredible. And honestly, whatever path leads anyone to create, I think that's incredible. I love the idea of my physician possibly rocking out in his free time. So what inspired you to create an album? I know you have an album on the way. So what inspired you to create that album throughout the pandemic? Well, we had written music from our Laurier days. We've always been writing music together. And through you know four years of med school, two years of residency, we didn't see each other very much, but we were both writing music on our own. And then I go up north and I'm locoming and you know, working in these ERs on the side, I'm still writing poetry. I'm still, you know, playing guitar, writing music. And then when COVID hit, you know, a lot of people had like a bit of an existential crisis realizing, you know, like life is short. Um, I had this feeling gnawing at me for years. Like I need to put my music out there. I need to get back on stage. Like the times that, you know, as you mentioned, me and Rob played at Wilf's so many times and that was like some of the best experiences of my life so i knew i needed to do that and covid just made me realize first of all i have like this unique perspective on the world as a frontline physician that like there's so much pouring out of me in terms of like what i'm seeing what i'm feeling i need a medium of expressing that and i already have the ability to do that and secondly why not put it all together like do this right now that I'm a doctor, like I can just, you know, get a producer and make sure this gets done properly. Right. I can put this music out. Like I don't have, I'm not this kid in Scarborough where I have to save for two years to buy a guitar. Like I can just make this happen. Um, so I decided to just, you know, get going with my dream and, uh, and Rob was right there with me. So we decided to record the music and start, you know, using that to inspire people around us to want to play with us so we you know got a bass player and a drummer now and now we're out playing shows that is awesome so have you done shows recently and where have you played so we've played at supermarket which is in kensington market a few times and uh this has all been kind of building up to our first you know truly big show which is at horseshoe tavern and we are very excited for that that's on november 21st so uh, if anyone's listening, come out to that. We'll rock your face off. <laughs> it's about as good as an ad that you can get. Eh? <laughs> Not wrong. <laughs> the single placebo, which we're going to have a chance to listen to at the end of the episode. Uh, I'm curious about that because it's the only one I've had a chance to listen to. And I, I really did enjoy it. it. You can definitely hear the Red Hot Chili Peppers coming through and both the vocals and that guitar performance is incredible. So what was the idea behind that single? Yeah. Um, so placebo is this kind of rhythmic cocktail. It has these vibrant kind of, you know, notes ringing out. It's it's very much like a danceable tune. And what I wanted to take to that, like with this positive energy of movement, I wanted to juxtapose that with you know, all these smattering of ideas I had about how I was processing, you know, becoming a physician and then being a physician 
through this crisis and how I felt, you know, working in a, a fractured healthcare system. And, you know, there's feelings of imposter syndrome. There's feelings of um, burnout, right? And all of these themes I kind of explore and there's a lot of double and even triple entendres in the lyrics. So um, I just feel like it was a beautiful canvas to really explore a lot of my feelings around medicine and healthcare. And, you know, I, this is the only song that I've ever written and maybe will ever write that has a medical theme. Um, but, you know, I'm glad I did it this one time because I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm going to read out some of the lyrics here to you. This might be a little weird for you. Uh, and I'm curious if you can just kind of give me the idea behind this verse stood out to me. Uh, so you say, I got a white coat to veil my scars and a last forecast to hail the stars, a world-class ideal gas, and a fatal prick I'll fail to start. What, what does that verse, what does that mean to you? You know, I, I like leaving things up to interpretation, but, uh, you know, you'll see, you know, we can, we'll talk about the album art, you know, okay, wearing sure. a coat and, uh, you know, being a physician doesn't mean that, you know, just because your image is this pristine individual, and that's your face to society it doesn't mean that you aren't an imperfect individual right and who knows every physician you see really like what is their story what are their scars what is it that they're struggling with in their life the one thing i will say about that verse sure. is that last line a fatal prick i'll fail to start yeah is definitely not about the vaccine <laughs> okay i am very pro vaccine so that is it's not that yeah judging by uh, our conversation today i can't imagine that it'd be very anti-vaccine so yeah looking at the album art i'm looking at it right now obviously uh you guys can't see it but it is a image of a doctor standing in scrubs with a lab coat on his uh, right hand is over his heart and he has a ring poke on the uh, ring finger and a stethoscope between his uh index and middle finger. Oh, and I missed the most important part, the clown face on top of the doctor. So yeah, could you explain some of that imagery? And so, and then one more point that, you know, I think is a little bit nuanced, but sure. I, I feel like you picked up a lot that, you know, most people would, would miss some of the subtler things there. Um, but one more thing is that the overlay of this entire image is actually like a crumpled paper bag texture. Right. And so that has to do with like this idea of being disposable. Okay. Um, and so then there I am. This is actually me, by the way. So I'm wearing my scrubs and my white coat and I'm wearing a clown mask and I'm auscultating, which is like listening to my own heart and I'm wearing a ring pop. Okay. So um, that, you know, it's meant to symbolize, you know, as I said, being a bit of a, anonymity, um, being disposable. Uh, putting on a, you know, having to feel like you have to put on a smile despite being in a healthcare system that is crumbling, um, having to deal with that strain of knowing that you're seeing the downstream effects of upstream problems. There's poverty and other inequities that we end up seeing the manifestations of that as physicians. And we're expected to put on a smile and keep serving as a cog in the system i'm listening to my own heart which is symbolic of introspection of my 
this is, you know, this music is a form of my self-expression. And that ring pop, you know, if you listen to the song or when you listen to the song, to those who are going to listen is, you know, symbolic of a bit of, you know, there is a bit of a poppy nature to this song. As I said, it's a juxtaposition. And the the fact that it's a ring pop is also like literally a sugar pill, so to speak, which is the placebo idea. So there's a lot of ideas layered into that. And uh, at the end of the day, it's just a cool image. So uh, we like that. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who are curious about what it looks like, you can just go into the search bar in the uh, Spotify app you're in right now and placebo parachute thieves check it out uh you can see that image yeah so this placebo is our is a single and we've already released our other single uh, our first single cosmic cradles um so we have a ep that's going to be coming out in let's say a couple months which will be four tracks and then we're going to just be recording a few more songs that we've written so have like maybe like an eight to ten song album that will be out uh, this coming spring incredible so if you guys enjoy the music definitely check out the album and uh, give them a follow on wherever you get your music uh, all right so as we come to kind of wrap things up here um, there's a question I ask everybody who comes on here and you can answer it however you see whether it's career or personal life I'm curious about how you define success for yourself that's a really great question I would say that success is not to me it's not a career thing or i guess i just take a lens that makes it bigger that naturally so you know i think career success is just kind of it 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 works in one dimension but i want to try to think of things as in as many dimensions as possible so um and it becomes more challenging to achieve you know what we would call success in all of those dimensions. So it has a lot to do with balance, um, but ultimately, you know, being a loving family member, a good friend, a reliable friend, and a good person to be around while also being, you know, feeling fulfilled by your career and contributing positively. And then being able to contribute creatively or, or have some sort of creative output that you feel fulfilled by. Um, some of those, those are some of the key ingredients for a successful life, in my opinion. And I'm not saying that I even am achieving that success. It's a, it's a work in progress. So definitely something I'm striving for. But uh, I do want to be clear that, you know, all of these career things, they're great. But what's even greater is balancing all of that and and being um a loving person to everyone you're around so that's really what um my focus is for like the next phase of my life i like that so you take a a holistic approach to medicine and a holistic approach to life (laughs) yeah exactly and yeah i think that's incredible and i think that really shows through the conversation we've had today the way that you tackle problems with empathy and you look to put yourself in someone's shoes when you're trying to help them i think that's incredible and I mean, you have the artist side too. So there you go. Thanks, Luke. So um, if anyone is interested, Placebo by Parachute Thieves. They have a couple songs out. You can check that out on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your music. If you have any questions about vaccines or anything like that, you can go to shn.ca slash 
Vaxfax. That's V-A-X Fax. And since we've talked so much about this single, I thought it would be great for you guys to get a chance to hear it. So we're going to run through Placebo at the end here. And if you like it, go ahead and add it to your library. All right. Well, thanks, Latif, so much for coming on the pod. It was great having you. Thanks so much, Luke. It was really awesome talking with you. All right. You have a great one. You too. I got a cold sweat dripping down my pores and a death threat beneath my door. Pop one back just to talk some smack to the reflection in the ocean floor. Examine. Looking up from the bottom of a wishing well Examine